August 18th, 2023 is a special date between me and my guest here, as that date was the first time we spoke and we released a mind-numbing podcast. <laughs> Steve Martin is back on the show, not to be confused with, well, Steve Martin. Uh, <laughs> welcome back, buddy. Happy to have you here. Great to be here, Jay. I'm excited to have another conversation with you. Yeah, I'm not that Steve Martin. I'm Steve Steve Martin, the actor, the comedian. No, I'm Steve Martin, the celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah, don't we all? So listen, you did it again. You, you done wrote another book, didn't you? I did. I did. I, this one I, I've uh, written because I've, I've got a project I'm trying to launch, and this book is, I hope, going to help me. I'm trying to get together a TV series that would get the information out about the true nature reality, Jay. I mean, you know, what you're taught in school is a bunch of baloney. I agree with you there. I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of subjects in school that I just find what's the point of having those subjects in school. I don't want to roast anyone because I know there's some teachers probably listening to this, so I'm not going to go into specifics. But I just feel like there are some classes that can be substituted with something a little bit more helpful for kids to get their life on track and learn life lessons, you know? Well, that's absolutely true. And I can tell you one thing, looking back at my high school career, there is only one class that I took that I still use almost every day. And that was typing. Oh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Back when I was in high school, 98% of the people in the typing class were women or girls. Yeah, I was the one guy in there, but I'm telling you what, writing these books, I sure am glad I took that that uh, class because I use it every day. Was that a mandatory course to take or no? No, 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 not at all. It was uh, it was an elective. And, uh, you know, this was back before we had computers. So, you know, you typed on an actual typewriter. Uh, Jeez. (laughs) Don't age yourself. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So what kind of positions were were useful like for typing what were the women doing well the women you know to be a secretary or or administrative assistant you know that was again it was a long time ago i'm an old guy and uh back then you know women either became teachers or nurses or secretaries pretty much and uh, except for a few exceptions nowadays it's totally different of course but so they needed to have typing and even shorthand i mean my god right right yeah uh, that type yeah, was a because I, I knew I was going to need it in college to write term papers and things like that. So right, yeah, that typing was a fad. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, let's talk about your book here. What's the uh, what's the title of your book? Go ahead and share it with the guests or the, well, uh, the listeners. You are the guest. Uh, how you can help create the shift in consciousness that will save the world or can save the world, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to put together. Uh, I've got a plan. I've got a. TV production company I'm working with. And basically what this book does is tell you what the TV show and series that we're going to do is going to try to communicate. My objective is to convince you that it's a good idea to get this information out, get the facts out about what reality is really all about. And what reality is really all about is that consciousness is the ground of being, all it is, that there's really only one life that we sh- that we all share. We all share that consciousness. We think we're separate people, separate individuals, because we have an ego that's been built up since birth. 
But in fact, we all have the same consciousness. We're all one. And I think if everybody knew that instead of what they're taught in school, which is that only thing that exists is matter, material substance, and when you die, that's it. Uh, if everybody knew that they're eternal spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience, I think the world would be a whole lot better. Maybe we, we'd start being nicer to each other. You know, maybe people in Congress could actually get along. Oh, boy. Don't get me started. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So how did you come to this realization that we're all connected? Because you speak like someone that has done psychedelic drugs, because that's the feeling you get when you take a they call it a God dose of psychedelics, like that everything is connected, that we're all working together. And I know there's other ways to to reach that level of consciousness. But I'm not sure what your background is with any psychedelics. It doesn't matter. I mean, you can you can achieve that elsewhere. But how did you come to this this realization? Well, let me. I'll I'll try to explain. I uh, first of all grew up as a not in a religious family at all. I mean, we went to church maybe at Christmas time or Easter or something like that. But uh, I grew up as this what you would call a scientific materialist. I believed what I learned in school, that everything was matter, you know, and we were like uh, robots that were made out of meat, and we had a brain that was like a computer, and that's what created our consciousness and so forth. But then when I was about 25 years old, I was living in an apartment. I had a job. I was working at an ad agency. I was uh, living with two other bachelors, and I had a terrible case of the flu, And uh, it was a Saturday night and I was upstairs reading a book and I heard people coming into the apartment downstairs and, uh, you know, a lot of chatter going on. And so I realized there was a party going on. So I said, well, you know, I'm not going to stay here in this bed, even though I feel awful. I got up, put some clothes on, went downstairs, uh, drank some scotch, uh, had a couple of puffs off a funny cigarette. But anyway... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I I shouldn't have done that because I really was in bad physical shape. And by oh, yeah. after a few minutes, I I just almost couldn't stand up. Mm-hmm. So I managed to kind of almost crawl back up the stairs, flop down in my bed. And the next thing I knew, I was looking down at my body from somewhere up by the ceiling. It was spread out in the bed like roadkill. And oh, I, my God. So, and suddenly, you know, before that, I'd been, you know, really uh, not completely conscious. I mean, I was, things were spinning and, you know, it was just, but then I, I, everything was clear and I was looking down. I felt better. I didn't feel anything really. Just there I was. And it occurred to me for the first time in my life that I was not my body, that I was my consciousness and my consciousness was up here near the ceiling. And wow. I was looking at little cracks in the ceiling and little stuff. And then I'd look down at my body and, you know, it wasn't a full blown near death experience. Like you, you hear about where somebody, where you go through the tunnel and you you're greeted by relatives that have gone before and you have your life review and all this stuff. It wasn't that it was just that out of body experience for not sure how long it lasted. But in, and the next thing I knew, it was the next morning, Sunday morning, and I was feeling a whole lot better than I did the night before when I crashed. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that started me on a kind of journey, uh, Jay. Uh, it was, uh, I joined the Rosicrucian Society, which is a society of, that, uh, of, uh, kind of a fraternity that studies uh, 
metaphysics, metaphysical mm-hmm. laws. And I can tell you that the Rosicrucians do know what's going on. I took their courses. I went through all that. I be, went from a, what they call a novice, which is a beginner, to an adept, which is someone who's you know passed all their courses and learned an awful lot, read everything I could about uh, metaphysics. Uh, I uh, probably the book that stands out was uh, Life After Life by Raymond Moody, which came out about that time. And uh, then one day, I was, it was maybe 10 years later, I was uh, in my backyard. I owned a house. I had a child. I had a wife. Things were great. Beautiful spring day, day probably 75 degrees and sunny. I was lying on a uh, lounge chair and or chaise lounge, I guess we call it. And I was meditating and I had a what's called a mystical experience. It was like my mind merged with the infinite mind somehow. I, I opened my eyes and there were there were uh, auras around the trees, auras around the grass and the flowers. And, and then I went into this kind of void where whatever I thought about, for somehow I knew all the answers. It was just an incredible experience that's very hard to explain. But in the that- The about yourself? Pardon? The answers about yourself? About, about myself, about, you yeah. know- why we're here on earth, what, oh, what it's geez. all about. I mean, that's heavy. And I didn't bring it all back with me, but I brought enough back. One of the things that I, that was clear is that we're all connected. We're all one. Now, uh, I did come back and, but that's when I really started and I started writing books and stuff and studying. And one of the things that's very clear from quantum mechanics is that everything is connected. Every, there is no such thing as matter per se, the way we think of it. Everything is energy. Everything is vibrations. And there's no place where uh, vibration stops and a new one starts. It's all connected. It's all one. The universe, all of us, are one giant organism of conscious energy. And we, we think we th- I th- you think you're in Chicago and I think I'm in Richmond, Virginia, and we're in two different places and separate. But the fact of the matter is we're connected at that quantum level and at that level of uh, consciousness, consciousness that's, that's the ground of being. And we think we're different because you grew up wherever you grew up and had parents that you had and you learned things in school and you, you became part of that culture. And I did the same where I was. And I've got those memories and even memories from past lives that are buried in our subconscious mind make us think that we're separate, but we're all one. So uh, do you think that some people are more connected than others, depending on what frequency they live at? Well, I think they they realize that they're more connected because of the frequency, a higher frequency uh, individual. Uh, A lot of people go through, Life, I would say probably most people go through life thinking that they're their ego, that they're, you know, at the mercy of their ego, that, oh, that, totally. they're, that they're at the mercy of their thoughts. When in fact, anybody can step back from that if they realize they can. Uh, in other words, say something happens and it triggers you, makes you angry or whatever it does. You can, there's a moment there where you can decide not to react 
and to stop and think, hey, why did that trigger me? What is it in my past or in my personality that, that caused me to react that way? And so you don't, and you don't have to react. There, there's a book I read about the same time all these other things were going on called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And the idea is that book is that there are three parts to your psyche. There's the uh, parent. That's what you, your parents t- told you and taught you and your school teachers and so forth, what's right and what's wrong and blah, blah, blah. And then there's your adult mode, which is the thinking, non-passionate, rational mode. And then there's the child mode, which is what I want. And, you know, I need to, to, these different things to make me happy. And so you can operate from any one of those modes. But this book, of course, is telling you to operate from your adult. And uh, to if somebody says something that uh, that triggers you, you can say, well, that's an interesting point of view you have. Why do you think that way? And what that'll do is get them to have to think about why they have that opinion, <laughs> and it'll put them in their adult mode. So anyway, that's that's kind of... Uh, what I uh, got out of that uh, thing in the backyard is that we are spiritual beings. We're, we're probes sent out by the source, whatever you want to call the source. And we are still part of the source. We just don't realize it, most of us. There's an ultimate test that I have that tells me what kind of frequency I'm running on that day. And that's if I hit a pothole with my car. If I freak out and I turn off the radio and I start screaming... I know that I need to work on myself. This happened a couple days ago. I got brand new tires on my car and I hit a pothole and it shook the whole car and I started screaming. I rarely do that, but I've been stressed out lately. So I started freaking out. So I pulled over off the side of the road, took a bunch of deep breaths and I'm just like, okay, something's misaligned here. I don't act like this. When I get home, I'm hopping in an ice bath and I'm just mellowing out because this is not me. I am overstressed, like just having that introspect, you know, like really I need to work on myself. And that's like, honestly, it sounds hilarious, but that is the ultimate test when you're in traffic or when you're in your car, because you're already at this heightened stage of your life right there. You're already on like seven out of 10 because you're going fast. And when something happens, you'll see how you react. Normally, Nothing, nothing bothers me in traffic. Like someone cuts me off. Okay. We're still alive. We're still here. Maybe they should, you know, slow down. Why are you in a hurry? Yada, yada, yada. That's on them. Not me. Just calm down. Stay in your lane. We'll get there. That's normally how I think, but I caught myself because I've been stressed out lately. So I went back home and just kind of recentered myself, did a deep dive, looked at myself. What's going on? Why do I feel like this? And now I'm trying to work on it and I feel better today. Well, that's great. That's that's what you needed to do. And, you know, a lot of us need to do that. I I still, you know, react to things. I think I told you before we started talking that my wife was getting ready to go somewhere and the car wouldn't start. I had to run out there. Right. I've got to hook up here with Jay in a few minutes. Am I going to make it? But, you know, that passed and everything turned out all right. So and we're you still know, here. Here, the point is you're not your ego. You are that. Uh, silent observer at the back of your mind that you can you can go to really if you want to and then you know you can you got to realize that you can do it you can back up and be that you know 
cool and calm and collected, just watching what's going on and thinking, boy, those people are kind of nuts. But hey, yeah. it's, it's almost trying to catch it before it happens, because, you know, something's going to happen throughout the day that's going to that's going to test you. And it's almost like having these provisions in place so you can you can navigate it without freaking out or triggering <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Have you ever heard the book, uh, The Secret? I'm sure you have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I I saw the movie back probably when it came out, probably, what, 10 or 15 years ago. I'm very familiar yeah, with it. Yeah, about the that. idea of the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, studying uh, with the Rosicrucians, metaphysical law, the, the fundamental basic number one law of metaphysics is that like attracts like. Mm -hmm. So that's, of course, the law of attraction as well. I mean, but the thing of it is, if you want to attract something to you, you've got to sort of somehow become what it is you want to attract. Uh, If you're, uh, if you want to get rich and have a lot of, you know, be the top executive of a company, you need to have that mentality, that belief that is really part of you that that will attract that to you. You can't just uh, think about it. You know, you got to become it. I don't. I'm not, don't know how to really say that in a way that's clear. But uh, I get it. But here's my issue with it: is that w- us in the USA, we're like the one percent of the entire world. So a little, like a little girl in Kuwait that's in, you know, just ruins, didn't choose to live there. You know what I mean? So no matter like what she thinks, it's almost impossible for her to become an executive at a corporation if that's what she really wanted. Yeah. Well, I would agree with that. I mean, you got to have the right circumstance. Well, I think you got to be in the right place in the right time for things to happen. Mm -hmm. If you're in Kuwait or if you're in Palestine or Sure. Ukraine. I mean, you're in the middle of a war. You'll be Ugh. lucky if you make it through. Right. But uh, it's still, you still are going to attract to you what your mind, what your subconscious mind believes about you and about reality. And it's for a couple of reasons. It's like attracts like, but also uh, it's what you perceive and see. And so you, you, you may not see an opportunity if you don't think that you're capable of uh, achieving it, of, of benefiting from it. it. It'll just go right by you. So you got to have that mentality. But also you're thinking thoughts out into the universal mind that we've been talking about, that conscious mind that is really yeah. the, the whole. You're sending those thoughts out and those thoughts are coming back to you. In the yeah, people you I, meet, in the pe- people you become friends with, in the s- situations that you run into and occur. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's how it works. Yeah, the last couple of days, as I said, I've just been stressed out. So, I mean, I, I started thinking about that book and then, you know, so I'm going to rant on for a little bit, if you don't mind. But just for like the, the last 35 years, I'm I'm 35 now, you know, I've been the I've been a very fairly positive person, always, you know, seeing things optimistically, trying to help everyone that I can, you know, I'm always trying to do right, sacrificing my feelings for the better outcome of others. 
I want to be, you know, I just wanted to be successful so bad. And, you know, I worked hard at it. I really do. And then I got laid off uh, this past August and I haven't been able to find a job since. And now, you know, my unemployment has finally run out last week. So shit's about to get real weird. And I'm not a religious person, but I'm not an atheist as well. So the other night I was just sitting on my bed and I was basically like yelling to the creator of the universe or whoever, just asking why, why is life so difficult for me right now? Why, 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 you know, why does this always happen to me? And, you know, it's just like, I've been questioning a lot of things as of late because I, I noticed these patterns is that I'll get really high in life, really high in life. And the last job I had, I was, I was doing really good at this sales position. Like I was the top salesman for the, uh, for the business. And then they were just doing setbacks because they weren't making enough money. So the, the sales team was like the first people to go, had nothing to do with performance, but they let us all go. And then I'm just, so it's just like this weird paradigm. I feel like I'm living in. Like I was at such a high moment in my life and now all of a sudden I'm back down. But I, I know like if I'm, if I'm staying positive, I'm going to get high again, but I would like to stay at being high. You know? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, uh, that is a tough situation to get laid off for no reason of your own, you know, because the company's not making the money. They can't make the payroll. They got to let people go. I've been in situations like that. I've never been laid off. I've been the one to lay people off and it's, it's horrible, but, uh, you know, you'll get through this somehow. And when you come out the other side, it, what most people find is that these kinds of setbacks and and uh, problems that you have to face and diff- and you know hardships that you have to endure make you a better person in the long run if you face it with a positive attitude. If you say, "Okay, now what can I learn from this situation?" So you won't face it again. You know, maybe it's choosing a different kind of company to work for. I don't know. But there's probably some lesson in this that would be valuable later on. Right now, it's hard as shit, I understand. but Yeah, yeah. There was this good quote, and I don't know it exactly, but I'm just going to try and say it the best I can. Like it, it, It's a religious quote, but you can put it into your life however you want it. It's like, I asked God for strength, and he sent a bunch of obstacles my way. So you might not know that the creator is, is making you tougher by dealing with these these tough times, you know, that's ultimately going to make you stronger. You asked him for strength and it's not, he's not just going to give you strength. He's going to put obstacles in your way to test your courage, to test you. So you become strong over time. That's absolutely correct. Uh, you can't, I don't think God or source, whatever you want to call it, can give you strength. You've got to learn it, earn it yourself. I had a friend, for example, who, uh, was a religious guy. And he, he told me one time, he said, you know, I, I asked God for patience. I'm, I'm an impatient guy and I know it's a fault. And I asked God to give me patience. So what did he do? God sent me all these circumstances where I had to right. use patience. And yeah, it's give you triplets, thing. give you three kids at the same damn time. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so he learned patience, but it was the hard way. And that's the only way you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. So in your book, you, you talk about nothing comes from nothing, right? The big bang. 
And this thing. is the the only time scientists allow a miracle to happen or some sort of magic, right? And and what a big miracle it is. Everything, all the laws of the universe, all the matter and energy in the universe, all the uh, you know things like uh, the DNA molecule that right. that is very complicated that that makes life possible. All those things came about by accident from nothing. Makes no sense. Nothing is just that. Nothing. Yeah, no yeah, yeah. It doesn't exist. Yet they cling to that because they don't. They got this idea that matter is everything, when in fact matter is derivative from consciousness, not the other way around. And it, when you get into metaphysics, and I, I put some of that in the book, Jay, as you know, and uh, it shows. The experiments show clearly that the researcher who's doing the experiment, his mind determines the outcome of some particular experiments in quantum mechanics, such as the double slit experiment is the one I give, the example I give in that book. So, you know, how can that be? If if the brain creates your consciousness, then your consciousness is inside your skull. How can it change the outcome of an experiment that is not inside your skull it's over right. there so you know and there are other examples that i give in the book that uh, that demonstrate that in fact consciousness creates matter not the other way around but these scientists are stuck on this idea and they've put themselves in a box that they can't get out of it's, it, they call consciousness the hard problem because they can't explain how it comes to be yeah i would like to bring one of these scientists and i hate to use this example but i would like to bring a scientist to a strip club you know and you know it costs 40 dollars for a lap dance and guess what because of hopeflation if i give if i give a stripper nothing dollars guess what i'm getting in return nothing <laughs> lap dance you know and i it's just it, it i i is it do they buy into it because they already put all their eggs in one basket? Like, is that why they're so firm that's on, what, that's on the this? only thing I can figure? I think that that many of them know it's not right or correct, but they're afraid to say so because it's sort of like they're in this religion. It's like an got. ego again, as well. Well, it's ego, and it's it's also think about the college professor who's been teaching this all yeah. his life. Yeah. Is he going to suddenly say, hey, I've been wrong. I've been teaching bullshit exactly. for the last 40 years. Uh, I've been writing books about it. You know, they're going to stick to it, even though they know they're, it's not true. That sets us back. And as then a, the others are afraid they're going to get, you know, pummeled if they if they start disagree with them. They're But it's changing. I, I was, there's at least one scientist. I saw a video this morning I watched. Uh, where the scientist is studying consciousness and thinks that consciousness, I mean, he's a real honest to God scientist studying it and uh, says that, you know, we got it backwards, guys. It's the other way around. What's starting to crack, you know? Well, that's good. Do you think the younger generation has is going to start pushing against what is already in place? Do you think that's what it takes? Well, I think that'll be a big part of it. You know, <laughs> that makes me think of a quote from uh, it was Carl Jung who said, uh, progress is made one funeral at a time. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that, actually. <laughs> so, 
So, yeah, the old guys died off. You know, the young guys coming along, they're going to have the new idea or the right idea. So. Capture of Saddam Hussein is seen six weeks before. And this sounds like it's coming out of nowhere, but it came from your book. Yep. Well, there's this gentleman that I uh, interviewed. His name is Stephen Stephen Schwartz. He's uh, a remote viewer is what he does. And mainly he uses it to find, you know, archaeological, archaeological digs and things like that, and even treasures and stuff. But um, he's quite an unusual guy and he's got some advanced degrees and he teaches, occasionally teaches a class at uh, uh, a university down in Virginia Beach, American University, uh, I've forgotten what it's called, but he taught a class uh, of remote viewing, which, by the way, was used by the uh, United States Army intelligence back in the Cold War. And I interviewed the guy that set that up in the, uh, he was in the Army, uh, to spy on the Soviet Union and the East Bloc countries. They, they would get psychics to see what was going on. And <laughs> it apparently was worked. So anyway, Stephen Schwartz taught this class, and it was back uh, in 2003, whenever the the Iraq war was. And um, he had all of his students, 47 of them, do a remote viewing on uh, the capture of Saddam Hussein, which had not taken place yet. I mean, Saddam Hussein was on the run. But they were after him, uh, the United States Army and so forth, military. And he put all the the uh, information together that kind of agreed, and he got everything right. It, it was a small town. It was He was in a basement. He had a lot of money on him, $750,000 in cash. He looked like a homeless person. He uh, was defiant but surrendered. I mean, the whole list uh, was just as it had been uh, predicted by these 47 people when you put all their stuff together. That now, what do you make of that? Well, that the uh, the time is not the way we perceive it. Well, a couple of things. One is that it's possible to, uh, for some people, and, and you can be trained to do this, to put their mind into the infinite mind and see things in their mind that either have taken place in the past, have are taking place now, or the likely things that are going to take place in the future. And what that says is, first of all, that the mind is not confined to the skull, that we're all part of this larger mind. And secondly, that time is not the way we perceive it here. We only perceive one time, and that's now. The past is gone, the future is a uh, a thought, but in the whole big scheme of things, everything is at once. Eternity means no time at all. There is no time. And in that other dimension of mind, there is no time. There's the past, which has happened, there's now, and there's the probable future. And in fact, some people who study this more than I do say that that we can actually change the past by changing the future. But if you watched, you know, Back to the Future, you know that there are different 
uh, probable futures. And if things keep going the way they're going, certain things are going to happen. And uh, so that's what they were tapping into. It was only six weeks ahead. So it was unlikely things were going to change that much. Do you think that it's possible that we're living simultaneously with different entities or beings at the same exact time on this location on earth, just in a different dimension? Uh, I think that's possible. I think that uh, one of the things that, that I believe is that our, our perception of this reality is not really what it is. In other words, that's what scares the shit out of me. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff going on that our, senses our five senses don't pick up because yeah, they we, just, we only have the tools to you know work yeah, we only get this. the equipment to get you know what we see and, and and experience but there's a probably a whole lot more going on that we don't see you know there could be you know your grandfather sitting there next to you for all you know yeah 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 that's a good that's another thing i wanted to bring up with you do you think the way you die has Anything to do with the outcome of the the afterlife? The the manner of death? The manner of death. Uh, well, you know, what that makes me think of is um, these. the University of Virginia has a unit called the Division of Perceptual Studies. And they have been studying near-death experiences, uh, children's memories of past lives and all kinds of other things having to do with consciousness. And they, and they started this back 60 years ago. Uh, And they have collected something like 2,500 cases of children who recall a past life and 1700 of those, they've been able to identify a person and his family and so forth that the child was referring to. In other words, what they call solved cases. Now, in many of those children who remember past lives, I think it's over 20%, maybe even higher, were uh, had violent deaths of some kind. They were either killed and uh, murdered, killed in a war, killed in an automobile accident, or some other kind of accident. In other words, they had an untimely death. And the average length of time between uh, the death and the rebirth for those uh, cases that they studied is only something like 15 months. So the child came back pretty quickly and probably you can suppose because his life was his or her life was cut short uh, and she had un- he or she had unfinished business came back quickly. So in that case, I would say, yes, the manner of death probably did uh, determine, you know, the next life at least uh, would be sooner and maybe different. <clears throat> Other than that, I don't, I can't think of why the manner would be, if it's not a violent or an untimely death, why, if it's, if it's a natural causes, if you die by natural causes, you're dying probably at the time that you, that it's appropriate <laughs> for you to yeah. die. Well, I'll expand a little bit on it. So, like, obviously, this is hypothetical. If you step on a nuke, okay, and you evaporate, you don't get that slow drip into entering the afterlife, which we hear so much about. Yeah, well, that's another thing to talk about. The uh, people who die 
unexpectedly sometimes don't know they're dead. They will keep on doing whatever they're doing. I've got a couple of examples of that. Freaking me out, man. <laughs> I got into uh, a car accident. I don't know if I'm still, I don't know if I'm dead or alive. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, Twilight Zone uh, episode that, that where that is happens, where the woman has a car accident and she keeps going on the trip. Oh, God. She gets to the end, she finds out actually she died back there at the oh, uh, my God. auto accident. But, Spoiler uh, alert. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to watch that one now. Okay. Here, here, here are two examples. Um. I have this, my first wife was French and we, we went to France a lot and she had a good friend, one of her best friends growing up who married this guy who was a count and he had a, he actually had, well, you call it a castle, but it's a big house. Did you say a count? He was a count or he is like, count, like the Dracula. Yeah. Like Count Dracula. Or, yeah. <laughs> awesome. He, he owned a, a large piece of land and there was a little village on it. He owned all the houses and they paid him rents. And he had this big house, which doesn't look like a medieval castle. It looks like a big house. Gotcha. Anyway, we went to visit him often when we were going in France, going to France. And one he knew I was interested in this kind of stuff. A good guy, about my age. And uh, we went to see him at their house, uh, the, the, quote, chateau. And he said, you know, he had owned this house for a long time, but it it was in bad repair. And so he had a lot of workmen out there. This had been maybe a year or two before this conversation took place. And they'd, you know, been fixing the roof and, you know, knocking out walls and painting and doing all this stuff. And so he and his wife, whose main residence was in Paris, would come out there on the weekends or for a couple of days uh, while the work was going on to kind of supervise it. And when they go to bed at night, and they hadn't been staying there before because the house was, like I said, in, in bad repair. So they'd spend the night. And he said, you know, when he was just drifting drifting off to sleep, he would hear, think he heard something like somebody was screaming for help. Oh, God. And, <laughs> or he would wake up in the middle of the night when he's trying to go back to sleep, he would hear that. So finally, he started trying to figure out where that was coming from. And he, he went down into the cellar. I guess there was kind of like a wine cellar down. That's a no below. for me. And uh, he, he poked around. He saw this one wall that looked like maybe it was a little newer than the other ones. So he got the workman to come down and tear the wall out. There was a skeleton behind it. Oh, God. So <laughs> they took, this is true. They took the skeleton and gave gave it a uh, Christian burial, and he never heard the noises again. And his theory, his theory was that some somebody probably before World War II had bopped this guy in the head, had bricked him up behind the wall. Oh, and the God. guy came to behind the wall and was trying to get out and was trying to get out. Of oh my God, it's a horror story. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Let me tell you the other one. The other yeah, one maybe. is, <laughs> there's this guy uh, that I have interviewed a few times who's able to, He there's a place here in Virginia called the Monroe Institute. And at the Monroe Institute, you can go there for a weekend and they have these sound chambers, they call it hemisync stuff, where 
some people are able to leave their body and travel out into the infinite mind. Well, they have a whole group of people apparently who are are trained to to go out like when there's a something like 9/11 and there are a lot of people being killed at once to help those people transition to to the other side. But this guy told told me that he went out uh I don't know the circumstances but he came across this sailor who was clinging to a piece of wreckage and he figured out that it was in the Irish Sea between uh, England and Ireland. And he, he, this guy was dead, but didn't know he was dead. He was still clinging to the wreckage. And so he, he talked to this guy and explained to him, you know, that he, he was dead and he needed to go to the light. He needed to look for the light and go to it, which he finally did. Anyway, he figured out that this guy had been uh, clinging to that wreckage in the Irish Sea for something like over a hundred years. Oh, talk about patience, baby. Jeez. Again, Just like no man. You don't apparently experience time in that dimension the way we do here. So. I'd assume not, if you can hold on to that for a hundred years. Wow. In fact, I've been told uh, by people by someone who uh, had a near death experience that he uh, was it he or she was told that uh when somebody lives a life here, say, you know, 70, 80, 90 years, and they come back, for the people on the other side, it's been like, you know, a week. Sure. You know? So so they, they're there to greet them. But anyway. Yeah. Well, afterlife, so consciousness of the brain, I don't think you can measure that, right? It's it's mostly just antidotal evidence. Yeah, what you get from, you know, those when they do those kind of studies is activity in the brain. But the you know, if you do, if you on your computer, there's activity going on, but the program, you're not inside the computer and, and the consciousness is not inside the brain. It's it's receiving it and it's, you know, doing whatever it does. Certainly the brain has an effect on our consciousness. When I felt like I went into that infinite mind, I had so much more awareness. So, so what it does, the brain kind of dumbs you down, really. Dumbs, dumbs down the consciousness. Okay, yeah, this is this is good. This is why I'm asking this because, okay, if, if we can't, if we hook it up to a computer or whatever, and we're we're trying to see if there's anything going on in the brain, and you're clinically dead, and and nothing shows up, like the, yeah, let's say doctors say that there's no activity going on, but in reality there is something going on. It just can't be measured. Well, it's not in your brain any longer. You're outside. I'll give you another example. There's this lady named uh, Pam Reynolds, and this is a true story. In fact, you can, you and your listeners can uh, probably find her uh, YouTube video. What's uh, her name? Pam Anderson. Pam Pam Reynolds, R E Y N O L D S. Got it. And she had a near death. You might just put in Pam Reynolds near death experience, probably in YouTube. It'll come up. And she was 35 years old. This happened probably 30 years ago, early nineties. She had, was having dizzy, dizzy spells and passing out. And they did a a scan on her brain and she had two aneurysms. That's a swollen uh, vein or artery that were about to burst. So she was going to die. I mean, if they didn't do something, but 
the aneurysms were inoperable. They couldn't because they couldn't get to them because the brain was in the way. So they did what back then at least was a very radical procedure where they shut her down and drained the blood from her body. So she was a cadaver. They were able to open her skull, move the brain aside because it didn't have any blood going through it and fix those aneurysms and bring Who the hell was the doctor? Dr. Kevorkian? <laughs> well, it was done at a, a clinic in Arizona, and the doctors interviewed the doctors interviewed on this uh, this video, this YouTube video. I'm telling you about. He he's asked about all this. That's a crazy procedure. But anyway, she uh, says that she was you know wheeled into the operating room, put under anesthesia. Next thing she knows, she heard a buzzing sound, and she was like on the shoulder of this doctor looking down at her body, and he was he was cut, cutting her skull open. Anyway, she uh, taught, uh, was able to say what the doctors and the nurses were talking about. And when she came back to repeat that, so they knew that, that she really did hear all that. She went off to uh, the light, through the tunnel to the light. She, she met with her grandmother and her uncle and some other things. And then she came back. She didn't want to get back in her body because she she looked at it and looked like it was going to really hurt. Yeah. It was like a cadaver. But anyway, she says her uncle pushed her and she jumped and she was back in her body. But the point is, there was no activity in the brain because the blood had been drained out of her. True. They drained the blood out, kept it warm. They chilled her body down to 60 degrees so that it wouldn't be any deterioration while she was dead. And then they, you know, heated her up and put the blood back in. <laughs> and then they used those, you know, things, to, uh, electric sh shocks to bring her back. And she did come back. And she Here's where my question lies, is since her brain was intact, let's say that she was just blown up and that brain ceased to exist. Does she have that same experience or no? That's like the main case I'm trying to make. Like well, if you get cremated, so. I mean, she was she was dead as a doornail, and uh, <laughs> she went. She says she liked to it. Put it lightly. <laughs> she liked. She liked her. You know, she was happy to be with her uh, family that had gone before. She felt love all around. That's one of those things people experience. She said she didn't want to go back. She liked it over there, but she went back. She had kids. You know. There were reasons for her to come back. And I guess Do you think married. that something is happening in the brain that it has to be intact in order to get that experience or no? No, I think the, this case, the brain was like, like I said, everything was drained out of it. It was like dead. Everything was dead. Her body was dead. She was 60 degrees. Yeah. It's just, we. it's hard to, the brain is so complex that like, I just feel like we don't know what, what is going on in the brain. I think the brain affects consciousness. Obviously, if you have too much to drink or you smoke pot or you take LSD, that affects the brain and it affects your consciousness. So there's definitely an effect the brain has on consciousness. Okay. But it doesn't create the consciousness. Got okay. Consciousness comes from somewhere else, just like the TV show you watch on your TV screen isn't inside the TV set. It's it's in New York or 
California or wherever it comes from. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So do you believe in a spirit? A spirit? A spirit? I think we're each spirits. We just uh, are happen to be living inside bodies. This, this body is sort of like a, uh, a, a diving temple. suit that allows us to operate in this particular reality. So I guess like the big question is like, what the hell are we doing here? I think we're here to evolve. I think that's, you know, the, the troubles you're going through now are part of your evolution. You're going to be a better person when you come out at the other side. If in fact you approach it that way, there are people who it's, I think it's possible. I think we're mostly here to evolve, to face difficulties and overcome them. And we, if we continue to face the same problem over and over again, let's take somebody like who keeps attracting to themselves somebody who abuses them. Well, that person has a problem they need to overcome so they don't continue doing that. Yeah. But they're going to keep getting that same problem over and over again until they figure out how to overcome it and deal with it. And when they do, they will have evolved a little bit. And we have <clears throat> we're you know, if just look around. Evolution is what this reality is all about. I mean, we're everything's evolving, not just humans, uh, animals and trees and plants and flowers and so on and so forth. It's everything is becoming. And so I think that's what this reality is all about. It's a place where we come to grow and become and, and to to face those difficult situations and overcome them. Now, uh, what was the rest of that question? <laughs> why um, are we here? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just why are we here? But yeah, that, so why eventually, were... I think we're 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 moving into right now. Uh, people's consciousness is being raised. I think shows like this and uh, books and so forth are much much more prevalent than they were, say, twenty years ago. Oh, and, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I think it's all part of our evolution as a species uh i think it is possible to regress if you're you know if you a person who gets angry at life and bitter and so forth and you're not you're not that's you're not helping yourself you're not growing you're not progressing i think the attitude to have is that okay life is difficult i realize that i could take whatever's thrown at me uh, I'll do it and see what I can learn from it. And if you have that attitude, you're going to, you're going to grow tremendously during this lifetime. You know, it would be an interesting outcome if an asteroid hit us and took us all out. <laughs> yeah, well, it could happen. It's probably happened. Happen. I wonder what happens. Do we all just become ghosts of this land? Just, you well, know, or do we transcend to the next place? I think we could either all become ghosts or maybe there's a few of us left and we start over. I think that's what happened probably the last at the end of the last ice age, uh, there was some sort of a catastrophe. There's the myths of the flood in every uh, culture. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's because the ice melted fast for some reason. Maybe an asteroid hit and melted it and just flooded everything. And But still some people survived and they became, they were back in the Stone Age from what would probably was a fairly advanced civilization. And they had to sort of start over. And that, that, that's probably what would happen, I guess. Oh, boy. You know, sometimes I just get this feeling that this life is a test for the next 
thing to come. Well, that that might be something too. That's certainly what uh, the Puritans in New England thought. They thought that life was a test, and that uh, you know God was testing you, and if you pass the test, you might get into heaven. <laughs> oh, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> They they also believe that uh, there what I don't even remember what book of the Bible it is, but there's there's a verse that says uh, many are called but few are chosen, and that was their idea that even though you might do, obey all the rules and do everything you're supposed to do right, you still not might not make it because you might sounds like the Marine slogan: "The few, the proud, the the Marines." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boy, so what what do you are you looking for a job now? Uh, yeah, I've been looking for a job since August. I've had like a few interviews. I mean, it's just been slow. The job market, it's crazy. Yeah, I yeah. you know, they talk about unemployment being low, but I you know, it's I guess the kind of jobs that people are getting aren't that great. A lot of people working two or three to stay to put to, you know, make ends meet. Yeah. Yeah. It's insanity right now. I mean, it's been it's been uh been getting a little better since the new year. I know a lot of companies like to wait until the new year and then they start hiring on new people. Well, they don't want to take people on in December because, you know, the holidays, you're not going to get much work out of them. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you uh, used to do when you were? I was in the advertising business for many hey. years. I uh, was a principal of the Martin Agency, which is a fairly big ad agency. Uh, we uh, accounts you'd recognize would be like Geico with the gecko and uh, <laughs> yeah, we came up with the slogan, Virginia's for lovers. And <laughs> we, we had awesome. Mercedes Benz at one time as an account. And I also had my own smaller agency for a while, but I started a uh, business, which I'm now doing full time, which is uh, Oakley press, which is a publishing company. We publish, Books. We've got about 180 books in print now. So if anybody's got a book they uh, trying to find a publisher, they should go to my website and send me an email and tell me about it. Yeah, shout out your me. email and how they can find you. Yeah, it's just shmartin.com, S-H-M-A-R-T-I-N.com is my website. And there's a contact uh, you know form there they can use to get in touch with me. I always answer any you know, queries I get. And uh, I'd love to know about their book if they've got something interesting. Yeah. I want to know what made you make that transition from marketing to where you're at now. Well, in when I was in the advertising business, I did a lot of writing, you know, not only ads and TV spots and stuff, but also plans and programs, did a lot of research. And really, that's what I'm doing now. I've, I've written some novels, which are kind of fun to write, but most of my books are nonfiction. I've written business books, I've written, uh, but a lot of metaphysical type books. Yeah, uh, They're really my bestsellers, the metaphysical, life after death, uh, true nature, reality kind of things. I've got a book out that uh, is called uh, a fast track to higher consciousness, which kind of puts it all together. And then this one that we are talking about today about uh, the shift in consciousness is also got a lot of that same information in it. So it's such a fascinating topic. Like this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. 
because it's just so mysterious, you know, and we all go through it. Every single person is affected by it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think once you really start to understand what's going on, it makes life easier and a lot better, you know, because, you know, it's what's the saying? Life's a bitch and then you die. <laughs> That's what they really say. <laughs> <laughs> Death and taxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how can a person that might be completely I don't know, ignorance is bliss, right? Do you think there's a lot of ignorant people out there over this matter? I do. I do. And, and the quote is, it's where ignorance is bliss, tis folly to be wise. In other words, if, if you're, it doesn't mean that you're better off being ignorant. It means if you knew what was going on, yep. it would make your life worse. Yeah. It's better not to know what's going on. Sometimes I envy people for being ignorant <laughs> to that yeah. sort of thing, because uh, it can raise some anxiety, no doubt, right? Like the more you look into it, the more you question things, it's just, then you, then you kind of find yourself questioning everything and your mind, me per se, my mind doesn't turn off. It doesn't anymore. Yeah. yeah well, but I don't think there's anything really to fear. You know, if uh, these near death, I've, done a lot of interviews with people that have had near-death experiences and and so forth and i've only interviewed one who had a hell-like experience and that person was stay away from that person yeah he'd been in a gang and i guess done some horrible things and i'm not sure what his the details of his he just said it was horrible (laughs) and now he's a pastor in tennessee no way. So he, he completely t- was turned around by it. So Yeah, he's seen some shit. He's like, oh, boy, I need to make some changes. <laughs> oh yeah, I, think I, I, got, I got to clean up my act here. Yeah, that goes for all of you listeners out there, all right? Change your act around if you're being deviant. But something like 85% of the uh, near-death experiences are very positive. So there's really no – death is not something to fear unless you're a member of a gang. And I guess so. Some people and stuff. Well, hey, I feel a little bit better about it. Um, I'll see you on the other side. I want to thank you, Stephen, for coming on to the show again and uh, talking about your book, spending some time with me on the Sunday here. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, you already gave up your information, how people can reach you. Is there anything no, else you want to leave with? Yeah. Let me just say one more thing. You can download that book free if you go to my homepage. I've got it up there. So all you got to do is hit the download button and you'll get a PDF that you can download. And you could read it for absolutely free. I, I'm trying to get the word out. I'm not trying to make money on this. So go to my website, shmartin, shmartin.com. You're giving away a free book. Something yeah. tells me that you're trying to make right so you get into heaven as well. Well, you know, that'd be all right with me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I appreciate you being here, man. Thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you, Jay. I, right. I it. really did. <laughs> All right, everyone listening, be good. All right, be on your best behavior. Go make right. Tell your mom and dad you love them. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. You know him.